You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. Kids third grading down, y'all have left without me saying it anyway, but you're out the back door. And just a reminder to moms or anybody that has children that they're nervous about, I don't know if I see any in here right now, but we have a mother's room out in the hallway as well. John chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to read through verse 42 in just a moment. Uh, but before we do, it, it is Memorial Day, and I praise God for the freedoms, uh, as I've already mentioned, um, that he's allowed us to have in our country. And I do mourn the, the countless uh, number of lives who've, who've been, that have been lost defending our, our freedom. And if anyone ever uh, tries to tell you that it's, you know, in the state of our country, we're so wicked, we're so sinful, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be patriotic anymore, I would just direct you to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. It says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So most assuredly, we should be proud of our nation. I'm a nationalist. I believe in, in, in thanking God for the nation in which you live and doing everything in your power to benefit that nation because you're benefiting yourself when you do it. And I'm thankful for our military and our country and our state and our city. And I have no problem waving an American flag or saluting our soldiers, but we do need to be careful of where we're seeking victory. All right? Uh, Roger Babson, an American historian, visited the president of Argentina. Uh, more, this is more than 100 and probably 20 years ago. And the president said to him, the president of Argentina said to him, you're a student of history. Will you please tell me why it is that uh, South America, with her unlimited resources and having been settled uh, earlier than North America, has made much slower progress in civilization and material prosperity? And Babson, the historian, threw the question back at the president of Argentina said, well, Mr. President, you evidently have studied this question uh, yourself, and I'd be interested to know your answer to it. Listen to what he said. He said he thought that the explanation lay in the fact that South America was settled by Spaniards who came seeking gold, while North America was settled by pilgrim fathers who came seeking God. And of course, I don't believe every founding father came seeking God. Matter of fact, they had a, their, even their religion and their references to God were not always the biblical truths that we believe in. And I, I do take issue with the confidence that we put in our nation and our military and our government and ourselves over God. But there were many early settlers in America who did come uh, seeking God and religious freedoms more than gold. And there, there is a difference in what we're seeking. And today, that's the question Jesus asked. What are you seeking? Was it miracles? Was it healing? Was it government overthrow? Was it reparations of land and rights and power that the Romans had taken? Well, let's find out. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. Why don't we stand in honor of God's word? John chapter 1, verse 35. We'll read through verse 42. And these are the words of God. More important than anything I'll say today. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, uh, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I want to ask Dave Pickering, one of our veterans, uh, to come and ask God's blessings on the message today. Dave. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Let's bow and pray. Today we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this comfortable and safe place to worship on this day of Pentecost. And on this day of recognition, we want to thank you for our brave veterans who gave years of their lives to protect America and those who gave their life in a special way. We also thank you for their families and their contributions while they awaited the return of their loved ones. Lord, we're also grateful for our gifted and skilled pastor. And we ask you to prepare us now to receive your message delivered to us through Pastor Wint. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Uh, well, I've shared with you before about the tale of the young man who came to Socrates, but I'll share it again for those who don't remember it. Socrates uh, had this, this man come to him and he said, I've come 1,500 miles over mountains and valleys and just to learn and seek wisdom from you, great Socrates. And so he led him down uh, onto the seashore and he, they both waded out into the uh, waist deep water. And when they got out, you know, where it was deep enough, Socrates grabbed him by the nap of his neck, stuffed, you know, shoved him under the water and held him under there for a minute. He was kicking and struggling and then Socrates pulled him up uh, for a few seconds and said, hey, what are you seeking? He said, oh, I'm seeking wisdom, great Socrates. And before he could finish, he shoved him back under the water again. He was choking. He held him under a little longer this time and he was kicking and flailing, pulled him up again. He said, what are you seeking? Learning, learning. I'm seeking learning, great Socrates. He shoved him under again. He was just kicking. This time he held him a long time. He almost went limp, jerked him up again. He said, what are you seeking? Air. I want air. <laughs> Drug him to shore, threw him on the seashore. And he said, when you want wisdom and learning as much as you want air you won't have to ask for it and today we're looking at what are you seeking disciples don't know it yet but they're in a job interview right Jesus would eventually call some of them to be the champions and heralds of the faith and so he asked them a question and of all the questions that we've covered in this series this has got to be top five or top three what are you seeking and in this passage first the Holy Spirit shows us that declarations of biblical truth reap great reward and you don't have to be a pastor to proclaim biblical truth right Declarations of biblical truth reap great reward. John 1, 35, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So first, declarations of Jesus draw others to him. One person correctly identifying Christ is like dangling the enticing truth of Jesus, the gospel, in front of seeking hearts. Right? Later in this uh, same gospel, 
We see the same question in the hearts of the disciples uh, in the story of the woman at the well over in John chapter 4, verse 27 says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? There's that same question. Or why are you talking with her? See, they were questioning the motives of Jesus. They're like, Well, you know, what's this thing's. You know, suspicious. Verse 28, though, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Church, when we proclaim Christ, we draw other people to him. We don't even have to be proclaiming to the people we want to draw. They can hear it. If they're in earshot of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is the power to save and the power to draw people to him. Even if, it, even if it's not, not effective immediately. <laughs> Over in Acts chapter uh, 7, verse 54, Stephen was being stoned. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read this to you. He said in verse 56, Behold, I, have, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And so watch this. Was the gospel effective? I mean, he proclaimed Christ, but then he died for it. How was that effective? Well, look at the very next chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of his execution, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Well, what happened under persecution? They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. How, how is that good? Right? How, how does that help? <laughs> well, it says, now those, verse 4, who were scattered went about preaching the word. In these places they were scattered at. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. Verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. And so there was immediate, there was an immediate reaping, there was an immediate death. But then it, it caused persecution on the church that sent these people out scattered into these other regions where they heard the gospel. And then they reaped great reward. And I think uh, the stoning of Stephen even set a model in the mind of Saul, who would become Paul. I believe he had flashbacks of that moment where he was holding, holding the clothes of Stephen as he bled to death in front of him. Right? You think he didn't remember that? You're crazy. I think he remembered it. And of course, in Acts 9, we see Paul get saved. Great rewards from great declaration. Only God knows those who have come to Jesus because they saw or heard another believer declare his name. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. John 1.36, John looked at, his, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. 
He wasn't even talking to them <laughs> that we know. <laughs> we don't know, but they heard him and they followed. And of course, Andrew brings his brother Simon, uh, who would become Peter to Jesus as well. Declarations of Jesus draw other people to him. Second, declarations of Jesus must include the cross. John chapter one, verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, what? The lamb of God. And if this sounds familiar, it's because the previous day he had just said it, right? This is a three-day thing that's happening. These, these are succinct days. Remember, John the Baptist was sent to declare, to make way the coming of the Lord. And so there was day one. Day two is uh, the verse we're about to read where he says, uh, this is John one twenty nine. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Right? So it's important to see the title that John the Baptist is using. We're on day three in this passage. This is day three of John's proclamation of Jesus, all right? This whole story is. But this was a familiar term to John's audience, this lamb theme, right? Uh, they understood perfectly and visibly how lambs were used as sacrifices. Uh, Leviticus 14, verses 12 through 21, shows how lambs were part of it, everyday sacrifice, every day. Exodus 12 explains that uh, they sacrificed lambs at the Passover. Uh, of course, Isaiah prophesied 750 years before Jesus even came on the scene. Uh, Jesus, uh, Isaiah prophesied of Jesus being like a lamb led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53 verse 7. So John the Baptist uses the Lamb of God to describe Jesus as the final and perfect sacrifice in atoning for the sins of the world. And John the Apostle, not to be confused with John the Baptist, John the Apostle who wrote this book, who also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation, he makes the Lamb his theme. And I don't think there's any, we, we sang uh, a passage from this this morning, and I don't think there's anywhere that this theme is more profound than Revelation 5 verse 6 uh, through 14. Now I can't read it all, but between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Our declarations must describe Jesus as the lamb. I don't mean legalistically we have to say the word lamb every time we're sharing the gospel. I just mean in that in John the ba in John's gospel of saying he is the lamb in John declaring John the Baptist declaring behold the lamb the theme is that he died. If Jesus didn't die, if there's no sacrifice in the name of Jesus, then he's not worth declaring. If he's not your lamb, <laughs> then don't declare him. Right? And if he is your lamb, say it like you mean it. 
This God died for me. He's my lamb. He's the reason I'm getting into heaven. He's the reason I can even wake up without guilt in my heart every day. He's the reason that I can cry out to him and in repentance. He's the lamb. Declarations of Jesus draw others to him, but they must include the cross. And third, declarations of Jesus are necessary for salvation. Y'all know Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, one of the ways we do that in our church, we have a time of invitation or a time of spiritual response where people can come forward and declare that they've professed Christ. But the biblical version of that is baptism. When you're baptized publicly, you're declaring, I have been buried with Christ, right? Not, not literally, but I'm, I'm figuratively buried with him. My sins are washed away. He owns my soul and I serve him. Right? Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Did you hear that? I have a guarantee from God's holy word that I'm going to be acknowledged by Jesus before God in heaven. My name, Went Fox. Maybe they'll use the whole one, Winfred Davis Fox, if you're wondering what that weird name's short for. 1 John 2, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want uh, you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you're saying Jesus is Lord and you mean it in your heart, then you're saved. <laughs> You've called on the name of the Lord. Mm. But not every declaration can save you. Not every declaration of Jesus saves you. Not the ones you make after death. Did you know after we die, we're all going to proclaim Jesus, even the lost? Doesn't gonna make them, it's not going to make them go to heaven. But they're going to proclaim, and y'all know the verse, uh, Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus, every Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Your baptism should come after your salvation, but your salvation should come. Your declaration of Christ should come before your death because you ain't going to pull no ace out of your back pocket when you get to the pearly gates one day. Say, I got this. I'm good with the man upstairs. Good luck with that. There's no way you, you better be wise enough to consider declaring Jesus now. Fourth, declarations of Jesus are made with humility. And I talk about this a lot, I feel like, but I believe declaring Christ loudly is worthless if you're not declaring him humbly. <laughs> and we are a, a prideful people. And I've seen this over and over, not just in my own life, but in other people's lives, where the closer we get to Jesus and obeying God, more our pride goes up, doesn't it? We start to think we're pretty holy people. 
Look at all these rules I'm following. Look at these vices I've gotten rid of. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good for myself. All right, it's a peculiar thing that you can grow in Christ while increasing a particular sin, right? I used to call this the promise keeper syndrome. Y'all, if anybody familiar with the movement Promise Keepers about 25 years ago, I liked the movement. It was a movement among men uh, who were um, to be greater spiritual leaders in the home, better, better fathers, better husbands, better leaders in the church. It was a great movement. They would have, I went to one, a rally at the Liberty Bowl. I mean, you know, tens of thousands of men gathered and singing together in all those male voices and praising God together in, in Bible study and worship. It was awesome. Only problem was some of those people would go off to these promise keeper rallies and come back to the church and think they knew everything that was broken in the church. And they were ready to fix it, right? They were ready to go back to their homes and tell their wives how things should go. These men who had been living like the devil for most of their lives are suddenly, they got Jesus and they're going to tell it, you know, they're ready to change the world in a day. And so they come, and I'm thankful for their experience. I'm not making light of those experiences. I praise God, they, they, God moved in their hearts, but they just get a little pushy and prideful in their delivery. Uh, God has a way of reminding me <laughs> almost every week before I preach that I am a sinner in need of him. We can be bold indeed if we are bold in need. Don't not be bold because, uh, you know, you're scared of being prideful. Be bold for Christ. But just be bold in need. I am your shepherd. I'm a pastor that's been appointed by God to, to lead you. But I am in need with you, not over you. Mm. God help us. John 1.19 speaks of the humility of, of John the Baptist. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Verse 22, so they said, who are you? Verse 23, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight uh, the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So John is bold to say, you don't even know him. He's putting his finger in the face of all those people that could kill him. But he follows with, hey, I'm not worthy to tie sandals. It goes on to say twice, uh, once in verse uh, 31, I'll start in verse 30. This is he of, he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 33, I myself, there he says again, did, do, did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. You see what he's doing there? John the Baptist was bold but humble. John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. <laughs> and he's saying, look, you don't know him, but just even worse than that, I'm his cousin and I didn't know he was the Messiah until it was revealed to me. So he's not shy, he's bold, but he's humbly bold. John the Baptist was 
declaring the truth of God in a humble way. Declarations of truth reap great reward. They draw others to him. They must include the cross. They're necessary for salvation, but they should be made with humility. Well, that sounds great uh, for the one who's already following Jesus, but what about those who aren't or are in a, in a stagnant spiritual state? Well, that's where John continues. Declarations of truth reap great reward, but steps of spiritual curiosity also reap great reward. Steps of spiritual curiosity also reap great reward. John 1, 37, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And I love this part because it shows us first that one step in the right direction can lead to good. One step. John 1, 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And they said, uh, and he said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. Right? They heard and they followed Jesus. They weren't all in yet, by the way, <laughs> but they soon will be. Uh, one commentator said, although the verb follow usually means to follow as a disciple, in the writing of the apostle, and you can see references to this in verse 43, chapter 8, verse 12, and so on, it may also have a neutral sense. The following here does not necessarily mean that they became permanent disciples at that time. The implication may be that they went after Jesus to examine him more closely because of John's testimony. This event constituted a preliminary exposure of John the Baptist's disciples to Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist baptized with water. What does that mean? It was just an outward expression of repentance. That's all he was doing. He was baptizing with water, out of, a sign. Like, like in our day as a kid, I grew up and people would come to the altar after the church. As a, it, was just a, it was just a local tradition, a, a symbol of repentance and brokenness and, or a burden on your heart that you need to seek. Right? And that's what John the Baptist's baptisms uh, was for. And so this event constituted them getting to, he, so these people that followed John and his teachings and had been baptized by John the Baptist were now uh, following Jesus. They, and John faded into oblivion, another humble moment. Andrew's an example of this in verse 40. They eventually dedicated their lives to him as true disciples and apostles when Jesus called them to permanent service. Uh, you may, uh, after these events took place, that was in, over in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18, Matthew 9, verse 9, Mark uh, 1, verse 16. Those are example, Those are places where Jesus called them specifically. And it all began with what? <laughs> Say one. Hold up your finger. One. One step. One step, one positive response, one motion toward Jesus. Last week we talked about uh, attacking the heart source instead of the sin symptoms. But if you don't know where to start, well then take one step toward Jesus. Church is a step. Prayer is a step. Biblical counseling is a step. Time in the Word of God is a step. Stop trying to do everything and accomplish nothing. And take one step toward Jesus. One curious step can reap great reward in your life. Secondly, stepping power leads to staying power. Well, I, you know, I want to trust Christ, but I just know. I know my habits and I know I'm going to disappoint him. I got to fix some things first. What are you talking about? Right? He's the fixer. Well, I want to join the church, but I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know where I should, should serve. One step. 
I want to get involved in prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. But I don't really like to pray. It may be easy for you. And I hear those people come up in front of the church and it seems easy for them. But I, it's not for me. One step. I want to be more kind to my spouse, but I know that uh, they're just going to disappoint me again. One step. John 1 verse 38, Jesus turned and saw him and said, what are you seeking? Of course, it resulted in verse 39. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Hearing turned to following. Following turned to conversation. Conversation led to an invite. And before you know it, they spent a day with Jesus. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to spend a day with Jesus? Just one day? What would you give for it? They only gave one step. That's all it took was one step. One phone call to ask somebody for forgiveness. One prayer of brokenness before God. One gospel witness with a coworker. One appointment with a pastor or a friend for biblical advice. I don't care if it's a breakup or a breakdown. There's a direction that the Holy Spirit is guiding you to move toward. And all you need to do is take the first step. <laughs> Curiosity may kill the cat, but it can turn a half-hearted step. I don't want to do this. It can turn a half-hearted step into a long-term commitment. I was at a wedding Friday. And uh, the, they tell their story in the wedding. And the, and the, the groom, he, he said, you know, I... Um, I didn't think I had a chance, but I told her, I said, hey, she, he, had, she, he had asked her to go with him, you know, to go on a date with him many times. And she said no. And so he said, I'll tell you what, they were at a, a youth camp and they were shooting basketball or something. That, I don't know where they were. But he said, I'll tell you what, if I make this shot, you can go on a date with me. She said, all right. He said, I've never prayed so hard. <laughs> he said, it went in. It went in. And so she went on a date with him, got to know him, and fell in love with him. And uh, one step, one shot, one shot, one shot. Take the shot. Take the shot. Oh, my goodness. Did y'all see that game last night? Who watches the playoffs? Y'all don't care about basketball. <laughs> I watch anything competitive, and last night was, was a beast of, of a competition. Anyway, I love, you know, here's the deal. Rome wasn't built in a day. Matter of fact, the disciples weren't even built in three years with Jesus. <laughs> they weren't done cooking, you know, and neither are you. Uh, and neither is a strong faith. But healing and hope and victory and forgiveness and restoration and eternal life begin with one step. Pablo Casals, I'm probably mispronouncing that, was considered the greatest cellist to ever live. And when he was 95 years old, he was asked why he continued to practice for six hours a day. And he answered, because I think I'm making progress. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's us. That's me at 95 if I live that long. Come Lord Jesus before then, right? Mm. Well, one step is progress. Stepping power leads to staying power. But third, staying power can lead to secure faith. John 1 verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So he went from curiosity to clarity. He went from investigation to declaration. He was certain. 
One scholar explained Jesus didn't ask who they are looking for, but what they are looking for. It's almost as if he assumes that like the rest of mankind, they're in pursuit of the thing which will satisfy their needs, give reality to their dreams and substance to their hopes. They're soon to discover that the thing is in fact a person, the very person who now confronts them. Remember Jesus asked, what are you seeking? You know, and, and they, they said, well, you know, hey, where are you, where are you staying? And he said, well, come and see. Do you remember Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the nest, birds of the air have nests, but I've got no home. He had temporary dwellings that people would let him stay, but he didn't have a home of his own. So where, what's he talking about? Well, it's likely that there's a double meaning here when he says, come and see. Even while on earth, he dwells continually in heaven in unbroken union with his father. So he is in fact bidding these men to do something more than discover where he's staying for the night. He's inviting them to come and gain from him an insight into the mind and purpose of God himself. The third never to be forgotten day of this wonderful week ends with these two ex-disciples of John staying with Jesus and beginning to find in him their strength and stay and coming to understand that discipleship means nothing less than abiding with Christ forever. Church, one step leads to one day, leads to two days, leads to full faith, which leads to security of salvation. It was the author of the gospel of John himself who later says in John chapter 10 verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. Of course, these are Jesus's words. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. By the way, that word no one is in the neuter sense. It's not masculine or feminine. It's no one. It means nothing. No, no angels, no demons, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Of course, that's Romans. But anyway, he goes on to say, verse uh, 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And by the way, verse 30, I and the father are one. You're in the life grip of Jesus. You can't lose your salvation any more than you can make your biological father no longer your biological father. You have a spiritual father in heaven. If he's truly your father, it can't be separated. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Some of you doubt the genuineness of your faith because you're not listening and moving one step closer toward Jesus. But if you will, you will find your eternal security only in him. You want confidence of your salvation? Spend time with Jesus. Let me just jump back and close here. Verse 39, it says the 10th hour. It was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour, that's a peculiar thing for John the Apostle to, to mention. What does that mean? You know, oh, it was late. Why didn't he say it was late? It was almost dark. Why does he say the 10th hour, right? Of course, you know, sunrise, by the way, was at 6 a.m. And that's when their day started. So that meant noon would be the sixth hour. And so the 10th hour would be around 4 p.m., which would have been late in the day, right? But that's not the point, right? One scholar noted John, and that's the apostle and author of this gospel, mentions the precise time most likely to emphasize that he was the other disciple of John the Baptist, who was with Andrew in verse 40. And as an eyewitness to these events occurring on three successive days, John's first meeting with Jesus was so life-changing 
that he remembered the exact hour when he first met the Lord. Y'all remember those songs? You say, it was on a Monday. Somebody, it was on a Tuesday. I feel it in my hands. I feel it in my feet. I feel it all over. Some of y'all didn't grow up in Southern Baptist Church, but <laughs> if you did, I always felt weird because I was like, I don't remember the day. I'm going to make one up. Friday. It's Friday. Everybody likes Friday. Uh, but listen, I do remember meeting the Lord, and you do too. And uh, John did, and I believe that's why he put, put that hour in there. Strong declarations of Jesus reap great reward, but so does one simple step of curious faith. Point your curiosity toward the cross and see what God will do, right? And maybe this will be the day you remember <laughs> meeting Jesus. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, uh, of all the people that have died to save a friend, Lord, we think of the passage, uh, it was, I think, in John where he says, greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friend. And uh, Lord, you, you've done that perfectly, Lord, because you're without sin and without fault. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that proclaim you, that proclaim you as the lamb, as the sacrificial lamb. We wouldn't just proclaim your name as being followers of Jesus. We would proclaim you as the Jesus who died for our sins. We proclaim you humbly. Lord, I even pray that for those of you in here that are, are not walking with the Lord or may not know how to get out of a certain situation that they just take one step toward Jesus. And maybe that'll be today, Lord. If there's anyone here that has a call on your name, I pray they would come forward and profess Christ today. If there's anyone here that hadn't gotten their baptism on the right side of salvation, they'd come forward. I pray that if there's some here that want to make this church their home and serve here, even though they don't know what their gifts are or where they could be used, they're willing. And I pray you would bring them in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.